Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here as uh, we are getting set for a really great program. Uh, and I consider them all great programs, especially uh, when you folks are tuned in to find out more about what's going on in the world, as well as how you can be a part of the transformation of this world. And I do honestly believe that even today's program uh, is going to enlighten you. I think it's going to educate you considerably uh, from a very interesting perspective. And you do know that we come your way on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, as well as other locations that folks are uh, linking us to. And thanks for doing that. And we really appreciate that. Uh, we also keep uh, a, a link to our guest's website. We'll be giving that to you shortly so that you can continue your evolutionary process, transformational process. And we also uh, have a PayPal and Patreon account so that if you'd like to support the work that we're doing, you like the work we're doing and, and the things that we're talking about on this program, we would greatly appreciate any support financially that you can give us. And again, Patreon and pay, PayPal account links are on the home page and the missions page as well. Well, uh, today we're going to talk maybe specifically about your weight, especially in regards to uh, COVID-19 and the lockdown and uh, eating comfort foods and maybe not getting out and exercising as much as maybe you should. But what we're going to talk about today has more to do with uh, successful weight loss and uh, losing weight and the fact that they are not synonymous. Uh, it's not about losing weight, weight loss that is. Now, one of the more esoteric concepts that I have come up with, and I'll ask our guests about this as well, uh, has to do with using the proper terminology when one is, quote unquote, losing weight. You don't want to use the word losing because when you lose something, invariably, you find it. It may be in the last place you look. It may not be in the last place you look. Needless to say, our guest has basically had it up to here, and his book is entitled Enough is Enough. And uh, Eli Glazer, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program to talk to us about how a new method, a new solution called the uh, Sauve, is that correct, is uh, revolutionizing the diet and uh, weight loss world. Morning, Richard. Thanks for having me. That is one of the phrases I have often heard. Um, you don't use the word lose weight. I'm getting rid of. Uh, and I, I, I kind of jokingly say, if they, I want to lose 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds. You're wanting to get rid of a small child is what you're telling me. Because that's what a small child usually weighs. Um, and maybe it is part of us. And a lot of people put on this extra weight for a lot of other reasons other than they don't exercise and they're just eating the wrong things. Uh, tell me about your own experience in regards to uh, weight loss and gain. Sure. So I struggled with morbid obesity for many years of my life. I'm five foot 11. I weighed 300 pounds and I did all the typical traditional diets. And I was on that roller coaster of relapse and recidivism where I would lose the weight. And as you said, gain it right back. Uh, I always had that round trip ticket. But so, for some reason, I wanted just a one-way pass. 
until 18 years ago, someone shared with me a really a transformational idea that has not only impacted my life, but allowed me to help impact the lives of so many others. A person said to me, Ellie, you have to realize you don't have a weight problem, you have a food problem. Your problem isn't that you weigh 300 pounds, your problem is you have, you have a dysfunctional relationship with food, and the consequence of that problem is your weight gain. Now, being obese is a serious and deadly medical consequence. Heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, many forms of cancer are a direct result of uh, obesity and our eating habits. But if we want a long-term solution, we have to focus on what the core issue is. And I had to realize I had to change the focus from trying to change my body size to changing myself and my relationship with food. And that's what he meant. I had a food problem. I was using food to reward myself, to indulge myself, to comfort myself. But I really didn't know how or I wasn't using food to nourish myself. And that is really not about dieting or losing weight. It's about developing and maintaining healthy eating behaviors and most importantly, a healthy relationship with food. And when I did that, an incredible benefit occurred is that the weight started coming off my body. But more importantly than that, I developed the skills and the foundation to be able to maintain that. And that's what I've done for the last 18 years. And this is where this new method, if you will, has come from, this uh, uh, Sauve method or solution? Sauveya, correct. Sauveya, mm -hmm. Sauveya, S-O-V-E-Y-A, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you are wanting to Google that as well. Uh, and that's kind of where that came from. Now, when one loses weight, and I've seen this happen many, many times, and especially in those who are classified as obese, they lose the weight and then they have this, this flabby skin. Now, I'm looking at a picture of you. I'm looking at you, not just a picture of you, but I'm looking at you. And I, I, it's hard for me to believe that you weighed 300 pounds. You know? Your body's incredibly uh, elastic. Yeah. And, and it can contract, that's for sure. But there are some people who, for whatever reason, it's not contracting. They lose the weight and now they've got the flabby skin. Right. Um, I know that's sort of a side issue, but I'm wondering... Can you share with us a little bit about your experiences? Did your, your physical body, your um, uh, uh, skin in particular, uh, did it basically contract back as you lost the weight or did you have to do something special? Tell, talk to us about that. That's a good question. So I'm fortunate. Um, I mean, I'll never have six pack abs. I don't think, even though I, my core is strong. I, I'm a runner now. I run marathons. I'm in the best shape of my life now. Um, even though I'm, I'm older than I've ever been, go figure. Uh, so, but as far as the, you know, the, the tautness and the toneness of my body, I try to do the best that I can. But I think everyone is unique in so many ways and, uh, and our body structure is really the same depending how we carried the weight, where it congregated in our bodies, that, call, that would result in to the extent that that part of the body was stretched. A lot of people have what's called, you know, the battle scars of the disease of compulsive eating, of overeating. There are people who uh, were morbidly obese and who have had weight loss, who had skin surgery, removed that skin. I wasn't one of those who had that, fortunately. Um, and I'm you know, certainly very toned, but uh, you know, I guess it's just in the individual you know, for me. I, you know, I'm happy to go out to go to the beach now and go swimming. Uh, and also being older, a little more vain. I'm a grandfather now, so those kind of things aren't quite as a, 
important to me as, as they used to be. I want to talk a little bit about our, our current events. We don't usually, although of late, we've sort of been diving into it. Uh, and in particular, uh, obviously, the, the coronavirus or COVID-19, I would you want to phrase it. And uh, I don't have all the answers. I know very little. I am, first of all, I must admit that I am not an epidemiologist. I have no experience in it. I, I've learned what little I have from television programs, documentaries, uh, the news media. I have a general idea of what it's about. But I'm not going to sit here and pontificate like I hear so many other uh, people on the news and television and radio uh, pontificate. It's like, when did you get your epidemiology license? I'd like to see it, please. Uh, because they come across as experts. I, I No way. My My... Question has to do, though, with a report that came out uh, in uh, late March, early April. They did a uh, test on the, the corpses of the dead in New York City. And the conclusion they came to was that of those people who they tested, and there were several thousand uh, who died according to the documentation of the coronavirus, actually died of underlying conditions that the COVID virus took advantage of, shall we say. And some of these conditions were and or are caused by excess weight on the body that then creates what? High blood, pre high blood pressure, diabetes, just to mention two. So talk to me about the health of America and the uh, Sovea method or solution, the Sovea solution, that can help to start us on the road to our own personal physical health and wellness recovery so that we can, if, God forbid, we should test positive, uh, we can withstand the onslaught, our immune system can jump in and do the job that it was designed to do so that we don't have so many people dying. So obesity, weight gain and obesity have been a national medical emergency for many years now in the United States. Uh, it's approaching smoking as the number one cause of preventative death in America. Um, heart disease, hypertension, high cholesterol, stroke, like I mentioned before, uh, cardiovascular disease. So with the coronavirus brought that in just to, in a, into acute awareness, because there were many studies. One that you quoted was from the national, from New York University, the CDC, did the biggest comprehensive statistical survey and the number one underlying comorbidity of deaths among COVID patients who are not elderly was obesity and consequences of heart disease and diabetes. So why is that? Because you would think on face value, someone who has a lung disease or a chronic breathing issue would be more susceptible to a serious or a fatal outcome because COVID is a respiratory issue. So why diabetes and and heart disease and obesity. The reason is because when someone gets a fever, if their heart is already compromised, the, their fever and their temperature spikes and their heart is, is incapable of managing the systems in their body and therefore it can go into shock and have a heart attack. So therefore that's why someone who's already susceptible through, from heart disease and, and obesity makes them much more vulnerable for the coronavirus. And diabetes is a metabolic syndrome. And a metabolic syndrome affects the immune system. It greatly compromises the immune system's ability to deal with 
toxicities that are in the body, such as a virus like COVID-19. So right. if someone who has these underlying medical conditions, and this isn't any new news, it was just brought tragically to light in such a catastrophic way with all the deaths that were occurring as a result. The solution that I share with, with my clients and I share with people whom, with whom I speak, and I really appreciate the, the platform that, we're, that we have today, is that we can move ourselves from a high-risk category to a low-risk category immediately just by changing our eating behaviors. First of all, di type 2 diabetes, which 95% of you know, diabetics have, which is not you know, from childhood, but it's the diabetes that we get as a result of our behaviors, we can start to stabilize our blood sugar right away through incorporating what I call a responsible and a robust food plan and changing our eating habits. Right. And even if we start, if we move, if we start losing or getting rid of 10 pounds, let's say a person is 50 pounds or 100 pounds to lose, and they say, well, why should I bother? First, losing those five to 10 pounds, that reflects their new eating behaviors and that will start stabilizing their blood sugar and start reinvigorating their immune system. So they can immediately transition themselves from a high risk category to lower risk category. And I think really I call it sugar distancing is just as important as social distancing. And why is that so critical? Because whether the second wave will occur or not in the fall, certainly we're seeing spikes in different locations in the United States as the country thankfully is reopening up and reengaging. Uh, we have to realize that we have to ha take that responsibility for ourselves and understand the underlying condition. And also in the news, people are saying, well, okay, people can start rematriculating into society, but those with you know, a, a chronic underlying medical symptom should still maintain significant isolation uh, procedures. Well, you know what, Richard? That's 50% of the country. 50% of the country are either overweight, have diabetes or pre-diabetic or have heart disease. So what's that going to do to our workforce? So we're kind of missing that holistic picture of the ill health that America is in that we've been in for so long. And that's why really weight gain and obesity have been a med national medical emergency for years. And it's just being brought to light now over these last few months with uh, COVID-19. What has been your experience over the last um, several months and probably going back to, um, I don't know, January, maybe even November, December, when we first started hearing about this, uh, this virus. Um, in terms of the people that you have uh, associated with, your patients or clients, if you will. Um, so, you know, a lot of them, comfort eating, emotional eating is probably the number one underlying issue that so many people have for causing them to relapse or to fail to maintain a healthy body size. Stress eating, using food for comfort uh, is a universal behavior. It's, an, it's the most accessed legal drug there is. Um, and certainly when we have a issue like the coronavirus and the impact it's making on us financially with our families, with our lifestyle, it's called the Corona 30. The average weight gain for people who are isolated and quarantined with the coronavirus is 30 pounds over these last few months. And that's on top of a national average of people who already 70% of whom are overweight. So one of the things that we do in our program is not just focusing on losing weight, obviously, but focusing, we call it how to learn to face your stuff, not stuff your face. How do you break mm -hmm. the bonds of emotional eating? How do you learn to call process your feelings 
not feel compelled to have to act on your feelings. We're all going to have feelings. We're all human beings. There's nothing wrong with being stressed and having anxiety, whether it's the kids or whether it's a professional, whether it's our spouse or, you know, our neighbors. But how do we learn that just because we're vulnerable doesn't mean that it's inevitable that we have to act that way? How do we learn new coping mechanisms? And how do we learn also to divorce our knee-jerk reaction with food to our processing of our emotional anxiety? I call emotion, you know, any type of um, stress, I call it emotional toxins. When your body has physical toxins, what, is your, what does your defense system do? What does your immune system do? It rids it. It rids the body of those toxins, such as whether well, someone has a fever, if they're, if they're coughing, if they're perspiring, if they're you know, sneezing, or if they have stomach issues, you know, they're going to the restroom or they're vomiting. Those are very unpleasant experiences to go through, but they're very necessary and critical experiences to go through because the body is ridding itself of toxins physical toxins. Well, any type of stress, anxiety, concern are emotional toxins. So we don't want to stuff it down with food. We also want to learn how to get rid of them. We're not here to solve the problem, but we're here to learn to process the feelings, not feel compelled to have to stuff them down with food. Are there any real solutions to this situation when it comes to the types of food, uh, organic versus non-organic, uh, the philosophy of eating from the, um, from the sides, if you will, from the edges of the, uh, uh, of the store, uh, you know, as they say, you know, eat from the ends of the store, don't eat in the middle because that's where all the processed stuff is. Uh, is there any truth to, the, to that fact or eating at McDonald's versus, um, I don't know, a high-end place that serves high-quality food, farm-to-table kind of stuff. Is there any truth to any of that? Sure. I think, I think there's some fundamental ideas that are important for all of us to understand. One is that the more that you're in control of your food environment, certainly the healthier the intake is going to be. Whatever restaurant you're eating at, whether it's a fast food or a higher-end restaurant, what's happening in that kitchen is a commercial processing of food. So there's going to be a lot more calories, a lot more fat calories, a lot more processed foods there. Certainly, you know, multiply that exponentially when you're dealing with a fast food place. So the more that you're in control of your food environment, the more that you're cooking the food that you're making, you know exactly what's going in there. And also you can manage the quantity, quantitative intake, the amount of food that we're eating that we've gotten used to 30 years ago. The quantities that we would say were a luxury are now a necessity. And a restaurant, you know, would, would, would feel embarrassed to serve a, you know, a smaller size plate where, you know, a generation ago, that would be the normal expectation of a portion. So that's one thing is being in control of your food environment. Now, the specific details, what I call the technical aspects of food, there's only one kind of soapbox that I stand on. It's the sugar soapbox. Um, you know, sugar and really any refined carbohydrate is the main ingredient that triggers the instability in our blood sugar. It causes our glucose levels to spike and to crash. And what happens when that occurs? What happens when that occurs is that it creates a rush of insulin, which causes our body to be insulin resistant, which is the precursor for diabetes. It stimulates our fat cells, which creates cravings. It stimulates our hunger and our desire. So all of those things we don't want if we're trying to regulate our intake and trying to lose weight. What we want to do is we want to maintain a healthy, steady, consistent glucose level. 
blood sugar levels. So the more that we avoid, minimize, refined carbohydrates, sugars, and any type of added sweeteners, and most flour products, when they're refined into the flour stage, the body is converting them immediately into glucose. Because the body converts all food into glucose, whether it's sour sticks or celery sticks. The question is, what's the rate of that conversion? The slower the conversion, the more stable our blood sugar, the more sustained energy we have, the more our body can fight the fat cells and help us have what I call conscientious and consistent weight loss. The quicker that conversion rate of food into glucose, the more unstable our blood sugar is, what goes up, what must come down. And therefore it triggers our fat cells, it stimulates the insulin and promotes our cravings and it just perpetuates our weight gain. And I think there's an element that I kind of kicked into that spoke to me in regard to, uh, in regard to this was the, the process that, um, how do I want to put this? The, the, the fact that, that when you gain weight, it's not just on the outside. And that that weight is also on the inside, which is creating a lot of the pressure. And I know that there are some people, some physicians and others who, who believe that, and I'd like your observations on this, inflammation is a major issue when it comes to, uh, when it comes to this issue of uh, obesity, of heart disease, uh, and so on and so forth, that the majority of our diseases is inflammation and weight loss is, in a manner of speaking, a form of inflammation. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yes, I think so. There, there are two types of fat cells that we acquire as because of our unhealthy eating habits. It's called visceral fat cells and epidural fat cells. The visceral fat cell are the internal fat cells that you're referring to that congregate around our organs, fatty liver syndrome that cause deposits of fat in our arteries, blocked arteries, cardiovascular disease. Those are the killers. And also where they congregate in our body, abdominal fat. But they're also what are called epidural fat cells from epidurus, fat cells that congregate just below our skin. And that's what causes our body, as we spoke about initially, to expand. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to simultaneously, a, a crash, what does a crash diet do? A crash diet actually undernourishes a person because it's it starves not only the fat cells, but it starves our healthy cells. And that's not sustainable. That doesn't create energy and it just perpetuates cravings. A person can be in jail just for so long and be uncomfortable for so long. My goal in our, with our program is to have what I call a reasonable, responsible and robust food plan that creates conscientious and consistent weight loss where at the same time we're nourishing our healthy cells and starving our fat cells. Therefore, we can starve those fat cells, which are the toxic cells in our body, at the same time as completely and robustly nourishing our healthy cells, which gives us consistent energy. We're not gonna lose 20 pounds in five days, nor should we. But I lost, Richard, 110 pounds in the first 11 months of my journey without a starvation diet at all. Because you have, you actually develop a consistency of your weight loss when you're treating the body optimally. It's very much like the analogy, why does your car get better gas mileage on the highway than in the city? 
On face value, it's counterintuitive because you're using more gasoline and you're going faster. The answer is on the highway, it's a steady, consistent supply of fuel into the engine. So the engine burns that fuel more optimally and the car works more efficiently. As opposed to the city, even though using less gasoline and going slower, it's the introduction of the fuel is stopping and starting, stopping and, and starting. So the body works much less, the car works much less efficiently in processing that fuel. So it's the same thing with fuel for our body, which is food. The more that we starve ourselves and binge and starve and binge and continue that cycle, the less efficient our fat burning capability will be. But the more that we get on that highway and click it into cruise control at 70 miles an hour, depending on what part of the country, 80 miles an hour, yeah, whatever you live mm -hmm. in, <laughs> um, you know, your body, it's a steady, consistent supply of nutrition, of fuel into your body. So it will process that food most efficiently and burn the calories most effectively. Exercise is the other element that people talk about, that you've got to, you've got to do that because that's the whole point of putting the fuel in is to run the body. And if you're not running the body, but you keep putting the fuel in, you start to gain weight. Is, is, that, a, uh, is that one of the elements of, uh, of the problem that we have in our country, that people are just not exercising? So that's a very important point. I'm, my first response to that is I'm a huge proponent of exercise with a capital P. Um, I'm a marathon runner, last six years. I certainly wasn't, when, was, I wasn't running marathons when I was 300 pounds, but I became a distance runner last six, seven years, and I love running. I run personally between 10 to 20 miles a week depending on my schedule and how I can get out. I've run countless marathons and half marathons and 10K races. Exercise overall is critically important, Richard, for overall mental health, physical health, and emotional health. However, the concept that exists in society that exercise and diet are two equally important components in losing weight is, in my experience, incorrect because it's not about losing weight. It's about changing your relationship with food. I wasn't 300 pounds because I exercised too little. I was 300 pounds because I had a dysfunctional relationship with food. And I happened to learn, lose those first 110 pounds without any exercise whatsoever. And it wasn't intentional. That was just kind of how my life was at that time. So therefore, exercise is, is helps support. It can stimulate your metabolism, but everyone's metabolism is within a certain range. You know, some people can, you know, eat a whole cow and not gain a pound. Other people look at food and gain weight. Well, my mother used to say there are two types of people in the world, right? So, so our metabolism, so we can certainly stimulate it to a certain extent, but as any, even exercise physiologist would tell you, you can't work yourself out of a bad diet. It's really hmm. about focusing on our healthy relationship with food. Now, again, I never discourage anyone from exercising. I encourage them to do it, but you want long-term success. And that's the greatest credibility I have with you, Richard, not that I lost 130 pounds and became a nutritionist or a weight management specialist, that I've kept it off for 18 years. And I'm not stronger or smarter or more, you know, more self-willed than anyone else. My wife would certainly tell you that. Right? I've been willing to change my relationship with food, engage in unconditional self-honesty and maturation. And it's like we all have those capabilities. We all have those, ac those tools that we can access inside each and every one of us. So, it's, and I actually used exercise as a form of bulimia. And in fact, exercise bulimia is the most common form of bulimia, even though it's the most, it's least recognized. 
classic bulimia is if someone, you know, after a binge will cause themselves to vomit or take laxative. But what's the actual definition of bulimia? Any activity as a direct result to counterbalance the caloric intake of a high food, you know, event that they recently had. Think of how many people say, oh, I'll eat this now, I'll, I'll work it off tomorrow. I mean, that's, that's a common phrase in, in our lexicon. I'll work it off tomorrow. That's exercise bulimia. Now, again, I'm not discouraging people from exercising and using that as, an, and it has a healthy approach to their overall health and wellness and physical well-being. But if they're using it as a direct result to counterbalance and to excuse and to give themselves license to overeat, then that's the same type of bulimia that anyone, that anyone else engages in. And I did that personally for years as well. So mm. now my exercise, I do it with a clear mind and I do it, you know, guilt-free and it's wonderful and it's great. And it's really, really important. So I kind of, it's a sophisticated answer to that question. But I, as I ask my clients, I'm asking your listeners you know, to listen with sophisticated ears. We're talking with um, Ellie Glazer. He is the author of Enough is Enough. <laughs> I like the title. It's fun to say. Uh, it's also how the Sylvia Solution is uh, revolutionizing the diet and uh, the weight loss world. And when we come back, uh, Ellie, I want to, uh, I want to go on a date. Okay, folks, we're going on a date. Uh, Ellie has been already re referenced the phrase several times about your relationship with food. So when we come back from the break, we're going on a date with food. And we're going to try to establish a new relationship and find out more about the, uh, the Solvea solution here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I realize this seems a little off the beaten path, but the reality is that if your physical body is not operating optimally and you're having trouble getting around, you don't give a one tinker's damn about your life's purpose and changing the world because uh, you're too busy working on changing yourself in that regard. So stay with us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Tell me your stories, I'll do my best to understand Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with my very special guest, who's the author of Enough is Enough. Uh, and it is how the Solvea Solution is revolutionizing the diet and weight loss world. Boy, we can use we could use uh, <laughs> we could use a diet from the diets, couldn't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And you ask about a relationship. That's 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 a great point. When I tell people our goal really is not to lose weight, but to develop a healthy relationship with food, they look at me like I have three eyes. I, don't you have relationships with people who you have common interests and have conversations with? Like, what do I possibly have in common with spaghetti squash? So yeah. is, is that one of the most intimate and fundamental relationships every human being has in the world is with food. Because without yeah. food, we would die. The primary manner in which we exhibit self-care and self-health is through proper nourishment. Because if you have Joe stuck on a desert island, he got all the exit, you know, beautiful scenery and, and air that he can breathe, but he's got no food there, what's, he, what's gonna happen to him? He's gonna die. So we need to eat and think about it. When a baby is born, it's in a perpetual state of dying and we're always interrupting that process. And how do we interrupt that process? By feeding it. 
And then after the, a child is weaned, he becomes independent. And that's so eating is the most integral relationship that every human being has with themselves because it's at self-care. Now, it would be easy. Now, I'm going to share something with your listeners now that uh, they might think is a little extreme, but um, I'll share it with you anyway. What it would be the most successful bariatric surgery for weight loss? Now, there's a band, there's a sleeve, there's a bypass, and those have, you know, the results there are uh, not something which I, you know, support for people to have. Um, and the results certainly, you know, are, are not consistent there. But a much easier, much more effective surgery would be take a scalpel. Instead of cutting open your stomach, just scrape the taste buds off your scrape the taste buds off your tongue. There'd be no more desire for food. There'd be no more traction. No more, you know, craving. As good as food smells, the smell is reminding us and is leading us to the, the to the action in our mouth. The reaction when that food hits our palate and, and stimulates our taste buds, that's where the craving is. That's the, the, the bullseye of our desire and our address for food. So I'm not at all recommending or suggesting anyone to take a scalpel and scrape their taste buds off their, their tongue. Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that we have to learn to manage the process of function and fun. The function of food is not to give us a good time. The function of food is to nourish us. But function doesn't have to rule out fun. We should always be enjoying our eating and making choices that are nourishing ourselves, but with that we're enjoying. So function doesn't have to rule out fun, but it should rule over fun. And if we do that, then is that, that's the first real step to having a healthy relationship with food as opposed to just running around for the next roller coaster in our life. And what's the next two minute and 45 second thrill that I can have? And look at the consequences that it's you know, resulting in for myself and for so many people. When did you start developing the Sylvia solution? So I, st I started 15 years ago as a profession that people saw I was in the, I was a community educator uh, before that, when I was kind of going through my transformation process. I uh, lost 130 pounds and people came up to me and said, wow, Ellie, you, you look like a different person and you look great. And can you help me? Can you help my mother, my father, my sister, my friend, my cousin? 70% of Americans are either overweight, almost 40% now are obese. It's the minority of us who aren't struggling with our weight. Uh, to the point where I realized, okay, I think I have an approach that is not just about losing weight, but is really more transformational and more sustainable so that's why that's when I became certified as a nutritionist and I actually got dual certification as a weight management specialist as well and began kind of transitioning my education uh, experience into becoming a weight loss coach. Uh, and that's where it started 15 years ago. And I've had the great privilege of working in person and via Skype and now Zoom with clients all over the world in five continents and you know, dozens and dozens of countries different time zones. I have clients, uh, had a client last night in, in Australia, you know, 16, 18 hours ahead. So it's always difficult kind of coordinating our times. But each one, each client, I said, I, if, if you're looking for a crash diet or a quick fix magic pill, then, you know, respectfully go somewhere else. But if you understand that you need to make a significant and lasting change in your overall eating habits and relationship with food, and you're willing to make that commitment and priority to do so, then I can help you. 
I am sure that you have seen some of the television programs that are out there uh, on demand and otherwise uh, that focus on individuals. One program in particular, I, I had a difficult time watching. Uh, I, I had an idea of where these, each of these programs was going or this particular program. It was called My 600-Pound Life. And I, I sit there. My wife would watch it as well. And we both would be astounded at how these people are still even, even still alive because they can't get out of bed, uh, barely. Uh, they, they, the weight that they're trying to carry around on their legs, on their feet, on their knees. I, I learned when I was having problems with my knees, not due to weight, but due to just uh, a new lifestyle where we have chickens and we would get 50-pound bags of, of uh, chicken feed. And I would hoist it on my shoulder and I would carry it to the chicken run and put it in the container and so forth. And I found out that uh, when you add weight to your body, you multiply that times four as to the pressure you are putting on your knees. I mean, that, that's like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm actually carrying two, I have 200 pounds of pressure on my knees, which is part of the reason why I had to have a little surgery. Nothing major, fortunately, no replacements. Uh, just a little torn meniscus because it was too much pressure, uh, that kind of thing. And it's been fine ever since. But these programs, this one in particular has a doctor who, yeah, he tells them what to do as far as their weight, but he also has them go to counseling. Now, talk to me about the uh, Solvea solution and a person who is four, five, six hundred pounds not overweight, 600 pounds, period, or more. And they've heard about Ellie Glaser's Solvea Solution on this program. The book Enough is Enough. I want help, they say. And they go to your website and they contact you. What's the first thing that's going to happen? Uh, so we'll, we'll do an intake and I'll get an extensive history and understanding of, of where they are. And I'll lay it out to them very clearly that... I don't project myself to be the sole provider of assistance for them. A lot of people will need multiple modalities, whether it's as a therapist or a psychiatrist, if they have certain you know, mental health issues. Uh, certainly they should be under the care of a competent uh, physician. Um, also, if they're any, any other resource that they're willing to access to help them with their overall physical, mental, and emotional health. The key thing that I can provide for them is how to develop and manage and maintain a healthy relationship with food and eating, irrespective of the environment in which they find themselves. Now, if they have other underlying you know, blocks or challenges, like they're, they're in a car, but they can't release the emergency brake, well, that's another thing. So that they might have the emergency brake of, let's say, OCD or any other mental issues or emotional issues. So they need a competent therapist or provider to help them address that issue. So it's really, a, you know, health healthcare should be a team sport in that regard. I've had a client that was 450 pounds that was bedridden in a acute care nursing facility uh, and couldn't and lived outside of the country and literally was bedridden for a year. Uh, someone who was visiting him as a volunteer started, uh, you know, befriending him and said, listen, I want to introduce you to this person. I think you can help you. And I started working with this person and uh, he lost a hundred pounds, was able to be mobile and was able to uh, fly and go back to his home country where he still 
thankfully continuing his uh, weight loss journey there. So it's incredible opportunity for me to be a part of other people's what I call recovery and re-engaging and, and, and gaining their life. Because I, I know what it's like firsthand because I lived with that, it, not just the weight of the body on me and also the pressure, as you said, on my knees and the joints and my bones, but the thousand pounds of remorse, of regress, of regret that we had on our shoulders because this is a self-inflicted wound. We're doing this to ourselves. And we all have that two o'clock in the morning, you know, aha moment and clarity where we're in bed. We're not trying to fool ourselves or anyone else. And like, and what did I do? I, I was 300 pounds, not because I wore a blue tie or argyle socks, you know, I was 300 pounds because of my eating behavior. Now at the same time, the shows that you mentioned, it's very important. I think that does a big disservice to the overweight and the obese community because it's about fat shaming. And I wasn't a bad person when I was 300 pounds. And I don't think anyone is intrinsically a bad person at all because they have a struggle with their weight and obesity. I was a good person who had a very dysfunctional relationship with food. I was making bad choices and I could be a good person who's making bad choices. And the real test of each individual, and we're only held accountable to, I believe, ourselves and our immediate family, and if we're religion to our God, you know, we're held accountable. Like, what am I, if I'm aware of this, what am I doing about it? And what's holding me back from taking those steps? What am I afraid of? And that's, I think, what makes our program unique is helping a person step out of their comfort zone and address their fears. Because you know what fear really stands for, Richard? Fear, if you write down the word fear and separate the words F-E-A-R, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Most people are paralyzed by perception. They're not fueled by facts. The evidence that appears real to them, I can't live without the pizza, without the bucket of fried chicken. I can't live without food as a comfort. And that's the perception that appears real to them. And it does. I get it. But is that real or is that facts? We don't want to inval we, we don't want to dismiss a person's feelings. We don't want to necessarily validate them either. For instance, you have a you have a kid, six years old, he's getting on the school bus for the first time in his life. And he's there, he's on a kind of, you know, the, so the bus pulls up to the corner and the door opens. And he's, you know, has a little more than a bit of trepidation there. And he's afraid the bus driver's a mean, really mean person. The kids are going to make fun of him. His teacher, the first day of class is going to, you know, be really hard on him. So he, and he's, and he's, and he's scared. And what's the mother going to do? Is the mother going to say, you're right. The, the, the bus driver's mean. The kids are going to make fun of you. The teacher's really rotten. No, the mother, the mother's going to comfort the child is going to caress the child, but it's gonna help the child walk through that fear and get up those stairs. Not say, you know, you're right. So let's not go to school until you're, you know, another five years. You're not gonna validate the fears. You can acknowledge them because we're human beings. We're certainly entitled to have the feelings, but we need to learn to walk past those feelings, not be paralyzed by them. And that's so critical in breaking those bonds of emotional eating in our relationship with food. Well, it raises a couple of questions. Uh, one in particular, as you ha have been talking here, in terms of changing our relationship with food. Um, I'm going to do the second question first. Uh, talking about these folks who are overweight, uh, who are carrying around a lot more than they should be. Uh, I have, in my, shall we say, study, <laughs> in my life, um, it has been my observation, as well as uh, I guess it's uh, um, clinically proven, that many people, many people are uh, um, uh, basically um, 
they've got underlying issues and they're putting the weight on to protect themselves which then creates that unhealthy relationship with food is that is that a fair assessment that's, that's on, a on that level and, and that's and that's a cycle of of self-sabotage oftentimes a person will feel a lack of self-esteem because of their size and they right. will you know isolate because they feel uncomfortable being in a social setting and they'll feel lonely and the loneliness will trigger a desire to eat to assuage that unhealthy feeling and that binging will just perpetuate their weight gain so it's a have to be willingness to be in our society we have to respect and and care for and acknowledge and value everyone irrespective of our body size and we can see that and again that's kind of the sophisticated answer we're not here to shame anyone nor should we shame ourselves same time, we need to take personal responsibility and understand that actions do have consequences. And irrespective of our metabolism or any other factors that can certainly make us in the category of just looking at food and gaining weight. Nevertheless, we have, therefore we have to have a personalized food plan that's customized for us. And that's another thing I think with, with our program, uh, with the Surveyor Solution is unique. We created, we, I, I created a, a, an online home study course. So in lieu of working one-on-one -on -one with me, um, you can access the Surveyor Solution in a 10-week video module on, on the internet. And it comes with a customized food plan. I created this priority algorithm, priority algorithm, that based on the assessment form that a person fills in, will generate a specialized and customized food plan just for them. And it'll come with a guideline sheet and video to help further personalize it. Let me ask you. All right. But how do I know that I need help? How do I know that I'm overweight? How do I know that I have an un unhealthy relationship with, uh, uh, with food? I'm 5'9", I'm 190, maybe 195 pounds, kind of hovered in that area for the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I feel fine. Yes, I have high blood pressure. I'm taking my meds. Uh, that's really the only thing that I'm dealing with. Uh, do, do I need to be concerned? Do I have an unhealthy relationship? So, so th there are standards that we look at, certainly our BMI, uh, which is not an exact science by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly the industry standard that we look, that's the first place we look to, to see what range you're in, if a person's in a healthy weight range, overweight or obese or morbidly obese. Medications also, Richard, medications don't solve a problem. They manage a symptom. The, what will solve the problem? What solves type two diabetes? It's not metformin or insulin. It's a healthy, relationship with food and a responsible food plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had many, many clients who have been insulin dependent, type two diabetics who are completely off all medication because of engaging in a program and having a healthy, consistent eating behavior and a food plan and being able to, to stick to that. High blood, high blood pressure medication, cholesterol medication, 80%, and this is all documented you know, extensively, 80% mm -hmm. of all health issues are lifestyle cost a lifestyle related and the number one lifestyle issue is our eating i mean i'm I, I have seriously reduced the the volume uh when i was a kid growing up and in my teens and 20s maybe even 30s thanksgiving i would load that plate up and then i would go back for seconds but i i've never been a heavy person never 
uh, I will tell you that when I hit 200 pounds, and that was for a short period of time, when I hit 200, the weight wasn't uncomfortable. That number psychologically was uncomfortable. I'm going, no, that is not me. And, uh, and, and I, so I, I, but I never went on a diet. I just began to modify my diet. I began to reduce my intake, say, of dairy and of this and of that, and then bring in other things and try to move around a little more. I love walking to the, I can walk to the beach in 20 minutes from here. It's great. So those aspects, but that still doesn't change. Um, and I've had this come up in my brain every so often when I'm, you know, kind of going like this. I grew up in a family of eight, six kids and two parents. And there were periods of time when you'd be sitting at the table and you'd want to have another helping of that, but you had to hurry up and eat before somebody else got it. And it wasn't that there wasn't enough. It wasn't that, that we were poor. We were probably middle class. And we did fine financially, and there was plenty of food. But it was that kind of sort of competitive thing where, you know, you wanted to get a little bit more because it was so good. But if you didn't hurry and eat, then someone else would get it. So that's, that to me, that is an area uh, that, that pops up in my brain. And as soon as I get that, I, I immediately put the, the utensil down and I just, I finish chewing what I'm chewing and I use that technique. Pick it up, take a mouthful, put this utensil down. And when I'm swallowed, I move on. And so that's, it's, that, that's been my experience. And I encourage people to get in touch with you. What's the website you want us to go to? Sovea.com, S-O-V-E-Y-A. And we will be linked to that. And I have three final questions for you. I know we're tight on time, so I'll ask these very quickly. I ask these questions of my guests all the time at the end of the program. You probably maybe addressed some of them as we've been talking. Uh, but here we go. The first question is, who is... Who is Ellie Glazer? I'm a uh, nutritionist and a person who's trying to save the world one pound at a time. A proud father and grandfather of a starting WNBA team of five granddaughters. <laughs> what is it that... And someone who loves living on the Jersey Shore. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Uh, really to change the change the America's perspective on what the problem is that's causing our national medical emergency. It's not a weight problem, that it's a food problem, that really trying to create the revolution in the way that we look at it and therefore address this issue. It's not about intervention and triage from a medical approach. It's about a holistic idea about changing our behavior and our, and our relationship and the way that we deal and value ourselves and have sustainable success in the way that we eat. And this will, this will go a long way to help us to fight off those outside elements that come into our bodies uh, that our immune systems are supposed to be there to take care of. Final question. What is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to I think, make the world a better place and perfect myself and perfect those who are around us as much as we can. And specifically through the skills that I believe I've had and I've developed to help educate people to maximize their health and their self-care and their self-love through proper nourishment. Ellie Glaser, I thank you so much for joining us, sharing with us Enough is Enough, the title of the book that is available for you. We also encourage you to go to surveya.com and to find out more about this solution for you to help you get back on track to uh, 
change the world in the way that you want by changing yourself, transforming your life. And again, I thank you very much for joining us. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast. Podcast, love to lull.